0: I'm Lieutenant Pat Doring, Crisis Negotiator, and you're listening to WhatCopsWatch.com.
1: They all wear uniforms.
2: They're honored to wear the badge.
1: They defend life and property and carry guns.
2: While they're often called superheroes, they, in the end, are humans, just like you and I.
1: This... Is what CopsWatch.com. I'm Captain Chris Giuseppe. I'm an author, a screenwriter, and I've been in law enforcement for over 20 years.
2: I'm Mike Wilkerson, the media generator with thousands of entertainment podcast reviews across a decade plus. Loaded and ready for bear.
1: The television programming is out there.
2: The feature films are bigger, more action-packed than ever, and out there too.
1: It's a growing world of media both on and offline, but what do cops watch? Get ready to cross the yellow podcast tape and learn more about the thin blue line.
2: It's time for another episode of WhatCopsWatch.com The value of guns both in television and movies is indescribable, from war movies to mom and pop flicks to television programming galore, they are there. The opinions about them all, they're there too. But where are the listings of all of them? The answer? Right here at WhatCupsWatch.com. We're digging into the 10 most prolific firearms in TV and movie history. Volume 1 here on WhatCupsWatch.com. Going behind the badge. On the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Christy Giuseppe, your other host. And
2: we are proud to be joined by Paul Bastine, who is not only a ridiculously interested firearms owner, you're also the owner of a local firearms shop, a dealership, and shooting range.
0: Correct. I own Ultimate Defense Firing Range and Training Center.
2: Now, the other really great part of what you joining us... I just love about is that you love movie and TV, especially the kind that features firearms.
0: Absolutely. And part of it's practicality of watching what the the people with the firearms are doing and whether it's practical or whether it's not practical or or just to see your favorite gun on film is kind of a thing. But
2: practicality is something I think that's often missed inside of I think just about every experience entertainment based. There are things that you see that are absolutely outside the realm of possibility. We totally admit that. You often have to take the disbelief pill. The Matrix is a perfect sample. Something else that we've done a perspective review of. Mm -hmm. The unimaginable happens with guns. The never-ending magazines. The the ability for people to dodge bullets. We get that all that can't happen. But to get to see those weapons in function and being used inside of a storyline... I just I, I get all weak in the knees about that. I love to watch them because you don't really get to see them otherwise.
0: Sure, and it's your favorites. You know, it's like watching your favorite sports team when you see a Glock seventeen pop up on a movie, you're like, Or a oh, car. I have that. Or, yeah, or a, exactly. a car
2: I think is a really great sample too. Mm-hmm. So that when you see all the cars inside of Miami Vice and you go, Man, yeah, I could drive that without without question. It's exactly the same kind of feeling and that's why it makes everyone so excited about firearms and movies that feature them, which is what we're gonna be focusing on inside this listing. Volume one of the ten most prolific firearms in tv and movie history first a quick little bit of housekeeping the scammer cast have you guys had problems with identity theft at all uh,
1: absolutely and yeah. this year we've set records on identity theft Especially around uh, tax time, I'm assuming, which we just finished up with. We've been inundated with uh, the ID thefts coming off the IRS, and uh, it's just, it's horrible. It's just getting worse.
2: And it's only going to get worse as more things get tethered, as smartphones get smarter and able to grab more information. It's only going to get larger. Thankfully, though, the Scammercast, which is another podcast on the network that focuses on uh, making sure that the people that care for our elders and elders themselves are not scammed. Again, it's a Scammercast with Art Mains and my Favorite bloodsucking lawyer, Curtis Bailey, uh, both a couple of wonderful guys who have a wonderful program over at scammercast.com. I'm also very proud to announce they've just been sponsored. By Western Union Identity Theft.
1: No relation to F. Lee Bailey.
2: (laughs) No no relation at all. That is another landmark, again, with the Two Guys Talking Podcast, sponsored podcast, where they get a real company that is sponsoring them ongoing. Super magical and very special for, again, the Scammercast over at Scammercast.com. Check them out. The Top 10 Cop Vehicles in TV and Movie History. Chris and I were able to participate inside this collection recently yep. with Two Guys Talking Cars host, Ron Ryling. What a fun list that was to develop. The whole Absolutely. the whole element of nostalgia, uh, when you think of cop cars in general, cop mm-hmm. vehicles in general, over the history of television and movies, what, what comes to mind, Paul?
0: Oh, Crown Vic. Because the Crown Vic is what I had when I first started, and so... And now the cars are smaller, and I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 300 pounds. And <laughs> what is it into, like getting –
2: can you get into a Crown Vic okay or not? Uh,
0: I can get into Crown Vic's okay. It's the Tauruses that they have now that oh. it's just impossible. When yeah. I get in there, there, if I would crash, there's no way I'm going to be thrown from that vehicle because <laughs> there's no window that's big enough that I'm going to get out. Wow. Well, the wow. And so Explorer, our, too. Even the Ford Explorers are really small. And so
2: what so. is comfortable – for people that are obviously listening, give your physical visage. What are your numbers?
0: I'm 6'4", 300 pounds. Wow. So it's more of an athletic build than it is a a heavy build. Sure. But it's tough. It's tough to get in and out of the, it's tough to get in and out of the toruses. It's almost impossible. But uh, the old Crown Vicks, that was, you could kick the seat all the way back. And with, with me being a sergeant, I've never had a cage car so without the cage in it i can kick the seat all the way back and it made it a whole lot better to, wow to be able to and
2: get then an the auto. the new uh i'm assuming they're Tahoe. are they tahoes
0: chris that are being issued
2: well the,
1: the chevy has a tahoe police package or um ford has always been pretty dominant in the uh police arena as far as vehicles go mm-hmm. what paul's mm-hmm. talking about is the the police package ford explorer mm-hmm. uh, and is that
2: still considered a full-size vehicle I don't think that it is. Now. It's is a little it? baby car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to Paul. I mean, for the humankind, a, Paul. A, it's sorry a about that. baby
1: car. <laughs> the, the, the Tahoe's bigger. Um, I don't know how much more room it has in it. When well, I the, think
2: it's probably more about headroom then, right? It's Because yeah. it's not about profile.
1: It's taller. I, I
2: look at yeah. the new issue uh, Tahoe yeah. series, yeah. and I don't see much that's much taller than a car currently. Now, you've got the headroom inside of it, but the lower profile that they're giving those vehicles is not... You know, I, I think Tahoe, and I think of some of the... Um, Maybe the uh, the CSI Las Vegas style Tahoes where it, you know, it looks like, oh, it's a Tahoe with mm-hmm. looks like it might even have four wheel drive on it. Uh, that's not what we're talking about with the police issue stuff. It's. Super small, low, lower to the ground profile. I'm assuming that's to, to keep allow cornering rolling. and yeah, it's yeah, to keep them from rolling over. Yeah. so yeah. they've
0: got a super fast motor in them, and I mean they will scoot. And yeah. when you step on the pedal, it'll it'll push you back in the seat. So and the low so, profile is a good thing, and, and so they take the front you, wheel drive off of them too. So they're yeah. two wheel drive.
2: Yeah, and so now are you able to get into that vehicle, that style vehicle, comfortably I am. or not? Yeah, so okay. I yeah okay.
0: I can sit in that car on a 12 hour shift. I can sit in that car six seven hours before. Uh, You know, not contiguous, but six, seven hours before it gets to the point where I can't move the next morning. But, uh, you know, (laughs) if you're sitting in there 12 hours, any car is uncomfortable for 12 hours. You know,
2: that's a very interesting thing that I want to make sure that we talk about when we start talking about these weapons, too. The holding of these weapons that we're going to be talking about, it's everything from handguns to... Not quite handguns. <laughs> We're going right. to be hitting a great list inside of volume one here, but I want to make sure that we talk about that. Cause Chris and I, I think, I think Chris and I have the same size hands. You on the other hand are not the same size hand guy. Sure. You, you have massive hands. And so making sure that we talk about those things inside of the different array of weapons we're going to talk about here inside this list, I want to make sure we focus on that too. Anyway, uh, to wrap up that last point, the top 10 cop vehicles in TV and movies can be listened to right now, again, over at whatcopswatch.com or with another great volume of wonderful podcasts about vehicles and cars over at twoguystalkingcars.com. Don't miss out on those. Guys, it's time to ramp up to the first of many top 10 lists, focusing on the prolific firearms in TV and movie history. Let's
3: get to it. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software, Blogger's Bug, Sprint's Relay, Missouri, and the St. Charles Office Center.
2: Number one. The Smith & Wesson Model 2944 Magnum from Dirty Harry. Now that's a huge title. That still doesn't, I think, offer enough description of how awesome that gun has become in entertainment history. It is the definitive handgun pointing at somebody yep. and asking them, What do you ask them when you're holding that gun at them, guys?
1: Give me your license and registration. <laughs> yeah, you know, but you, you know, do. Right. The, yeah, the rest do, of do the rest you feel of us lucky? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, and they had a, an entire film called Magnum <laughs> Force that <laughs> yeah. was named. After the gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it it, it stands out. It's pretty prolific. Yeah. uh, And and that's what they associate Dirty Harry with, the Forty four Magnum.
2: What's really funny, too, with the advent of Blu-rays, and for those of you that have not seen Dirty Harry and Blu-ray, you really do need to. I keep trying to describe to people the difference between Blu-ray and even a standard DVD now. Mm. And it's amazing. There are different colors that you'll see. You'll actually see the defects in, like, the long gun barrel. Mm-hmm. of Dirty Harry's gun you'll hmm. you'll see textures that it's you don't flaws. yeah you'll see those things that you wouldn't traditionally see especially in just a standard DVD presentation the advent of uh, new technologies uh, the 4K stuff that's coming it is amazing and i think it really does transform movies into something completely different the first time that you watch somebody that is now dead that you you can now see the definition in their face mm. that just kind of looked like it had some makeup on it previously. But to see the definition that's now inside of people's faces, it almost transforms what they look like instead of that higher definition stuff. And I think it does the same thing here with the with all of the guns, buckets of bullets. You know, mm. any movie will look physically different
0: well the whole the, the whole dirty harry series was about over the top he was over the top with the amount of force that he had i mean just physical force and mm-hmm. his fighting ability and everything else and so that uh you know they, I think when they went to look for the, what dirty harry would carry they went out and they tried to find the most over-the-top gun at the time. And, and it worked. You know, they call <laughs> it the most, you know, he says in the movie, it is the most powerful handgun in the world. And so now you got all the Wildcat guys are like, no, 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 I hand-loaded this. And it was like, <laughs> no, it's the most powerful production handgun in the world. Yeah, And it kind of fit his personality because it was so over-the-top.
2: Yeah, well, not only that, and it was big. For those of you that don't know anything about Clint Eastwood, even now as an old man, He is a very large old man, Mm -hmm. Uh, very tall, lots of presence, still very physically fit, as a matter of fact. And it would
0: require that for that firearm. uh, Oh, yeah. It's a huge grip. The Smith (laughs) & Wesson made a combat grip that was just enormous. And and again, with my large physique, with my large size and my large hands, it's a handful for me to even pick it up. I have a 29 because I... Have guns, and you have to have that if you have a decent collection of guns. So, especially after the the nineteen seventy one Clint Eastwood movie, you you have to have it. Yeah, for me to shoot it, I mean, it's a handful to shoot.
2: Yeah, I can imagine it's a handful to shoot. In fact, I can't imagine shooting that gun. That's how I'm assuming it's that got that got that much kick.
0: It's fun, I, and part of it too is you know it's like cars. You can put super fast gas in it, or mm-hmm. you can put slower fuel, and, and so it kind of dictates it. The bullets dictate a lot of how much recoil the gun has. Mm-hmm. So the amount of recoil that they show on the film he had like elephant bullets (laughs) yeah yeah but you could put a lower round in there and and it makes it comfortable to shoot but Uh, do you
2: uh, remember anything and obviously i'd love to get into a way more detailed perhaps even a perspective review of dirty harry but do you remember anything from that film that was outside the pale of there's just no way that would happen
0: well one-handed shooting typically law enforcement we we do as much two-handed firing as as possible he does not. He shoots everything one-handed. I have again, a, it's over the top. All right, so. It's dirty
2: Harry, right? I get that. Uh, exactly. Would you see a standard teacup hold with that gun? Or how would you want to no, hold that gun?
0: No. So even in, the, even in the early 70s, when that movie was, was shot, mm-hmm. they're going to do two-handed um, high up on the firearm instead of a teacup and saucer thing. Mm-hmm. Teacup and saucer is kind of a 1950s, 60s military mm-hmm. hold that, that somebody should have been slapped for and got, them, got their hands up high to be able to control it. Mm-hmm. When you see the recoil go off, You know, the muzzle rises like 8 to 10 inches. If you have a proper hold on it, the gun comes straight back into you. It recoils, but... That's not cool. You know, the whole thing about the movie is it's got to be cool. So so we've got to get recoil. Oh, yeah. You know, where the muzzle changes 90 degrees when you fire it. And so if you do it one handed, it it would have more of a propensity to do that.
2: Yeah. Well, it's an amazing gun and it has driven so many afternoons of movie watching. Sure. And will continue to. That's, again, one of the value of our first in the top 10 list. The Smith & Wesson Model 2944 Magnum from Dirty Harry.
0: Well, just that movie alone drove the production of those firearms through the ceiling where you couldn't get one for years because of that movie. And now, even in today, you know, it's 30, it's 40 years after that movie. Those firearms from that era are bringing two thousand dollars. Oh, I don't so, doubt that. Yeah, I It's don't just crazy. That. It's, it's amazing. Little, all you, based around that. When film. you talk
1: practicality, too, if you were to walk around with that thing all day for years and years on the job, you'd have to have a really good chiropractor <laughs> after that. I think it's, you know, <laughs> what, like what kind Paul of said, holster would that it's, have? It's heavy. He had I mean, a shoulder holster, I,
0: and and for a shoulder holster, <laughs> it would you know to have that two pounds dragging on you on one side all the time. You just walk in circles just from the <laughs> just from the force pulling you to one side. And it's just a, it's
1: just a heavy gun, and I mean I know for just from the guns that you know I've had to carry over the years, it's like it, it gets to be a burden. You're like, man, I got to get a smaller gun, something that doesn't weigh as much, and so forth. I just can't imagine carrying that piece of metal around yeah, for that long yeah. Uh, but like Paul said that's it's over the top but that's what they want it worked that movie was great all the movie, well, movies were great and again and I kind of go back
2: I kind of go back to the comment we just looked at which is and it still is I mean the going back this many years now later it, it's, it's seamless it makes you want it, it's the thirst for firepower it is the wanting to have the gun that's on top of the tea kettle and that's the one I mean mm-hmm. it is the one yep number two the Walther PPK from James
1: Bond James Bond i i think this and this is just a guess you know they tried to uh you know characterize him within that movie as such a good shot and a you know a professional special agent secret agent professional killer assassin mm-hmm. etc and really paul you'd you'd have to be with a 380 right
0: yeah. Well, the, the mystique with James Bond was that the 380 had such a good reputation to start with anyway because mm-hmm. it worked and it was created in a, in a time period. You know, that firearm was built in 1931 mm-hmm. when semi autos jammed all the time. And that's why nobody carried them. You know, law enforcement didn't really switch to a semi auto from a revolver until we got into essentially the, the 1980s. But the Walter PPK always worked and it was a 32 caliber. It was kind of on a small side, but it was a, a gun that was created for off duty police officers and detectives and, and those types of, uh, those types of roles where you didn't need a huge gun. You didn't need 50,000 rounds of ammo. And mm-hmm. so, so it kind of had the specialness. Did of, that, did
2: that lend itself to being hard to find ammo for something like a Walter?
0: It did. 32 was a lot more popular back in 1931. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of modernized it with, uh, with the 380 caliber later on in its lifetime, more around in the, in the 1970s. But it was, uh, you know, even in the, the,
2: the what is the advent for that? Why go from 32 to 38? What, what,
0: a little larger in diameter. So there's a little more power factor to okay. a 380 than there was a 32. Okay. So, in a and I mean enough
2: significantly to. Yeah. Throw more rounds down the way rather than. I mean, just a 32 still score. hurts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you get shot with yeah, one,
0: yeah. you'd be like, "Oh, I lost my train of thought." <laughs> 380 <laughs> is uh, 380. definitively has more of a power factor where it's gonna it's gonna hurt more. So you lose your train of thought and go, "Ow, that." it hurts mm-hmm. on top of it mm-hmm. the 380 ballistic coefficient without getting ridiculously technical is a better round for semi-auto because the bullet weight matched to the amount of powder capacity makes it a more reliable round mm. if you get to a point where you have too much or too little powder or too much or too little of a bullet they don't work well together and so you kind of have to have a good balance of a bullet weight and powder mm-hmm. and the Then the 380 has a better balance than the 32s ever did. So it did make them a more reliable gun to where if you bought Walther now, Mm -hmm. you're not going to have a very high likelihood that it's going to malfunction. Where Mm -hmm. if you bought a, if you ended up getting a 1932 model, This is a very good chance that it's probably not going to have the quality of steel. It's not going to have the reliability or even the accuracy that that the new guns have.
2: Well, and the mechanics, I think, of just developing a firearm at this point are, I'm assuming, almost completely different than anything. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, So, you know, they were blued guns. Once upon a time, mm -hmm. they were blued, which was a controlled rush process, Mm -hmm. and so you had to, you know, you had to take meticulous care of them. Grandpa, he always shot his guns and he cleaned them immediately after, so they didn't rust, Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't a practical finish for firearms. And to buy a blued gun now is tough mm-hmm. because people have said I, I don't want the silliness of having to, to shoot clean and I clean it every, it every time, time I shoot right. so yeah. Yeah, the yeah. finishes are different the metallurgy is different uh, the 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 ease of use is different a lot of stuff is different with them yeah, there's
2: something I was watching on YouTube recently and it, it was called a cleaning snake
0: yes they're awesome awesome
2: <laughs> dude where yeah. the hell were these when I was coming up as a son clean the guns Ah. Oh.
0: Okay, and they had them in World uh, War One. They had them in the butt early. stocks of World War One rifles, yeah. and and yeah. somebody I, finally I, I, went, I, I, uh, "Hey, I had one of these when I was a kid. I'm yeah. gonna make one of these." And, well, and now uh, it's finally put
2: on, tremendous, yeah. uh, tremendous, that will save me a ton of time, and I'm so glad that I saw, I found, I happened to find that video when I was looking for some uh, MP Shield review stuffs to sure. talk about getting a new weapon, and that's the one that I've got my eyes on currently. And uh, but that again speaks to the what you do after. That uh, I I really do enjoy, and that's going to make me enjoy it even that much more. I think. Yeah, because it's yeah. going to
0: cut down your cleaning.
1: Oh yeah,
2: though. yeah.
1: Back to the back to the movies though, and you know when you watch the James Bond movies and such, and you see that you know sh- him shooting through things and so on and so forth. The mm-hmm. the the thirty two Paul or the three eighty, you know, this PPK really didn't have that much. Penetration power and and so forth. What does
2: that do into a windshield, Paul?
0: Yeah. It'll deflect. A lot of it will deflect to where Mm -hmm. you lose so much energy in trying to, to penetrate that windshield. And then because of the angle that it's on, too it's going it, to it doesn't have terminal velocity anymore as soon as it goes through a windshield but I saw, that's, that's kind of true across the board a lot of different cartridges I, are I in
2: remember seeing a, a series of uh, shotgun shell options that you can get everything from just a you know bird shot to talked about something called the uh, dragon breath
0: dragon's breath sure yeah
2: and yeah the, the, yeah the entire span throughout those is the as the pellets and or shot gets larger and uh I, all of those things are amazing. The one big thing that they looked at, though, was doors, car doors, yeah. uh, but then also glass on a car, whether it's the windshield or the side glass. And so they showed exactly what would happen throughout those spans, those uh, different types of ammunition. And that's also a very interesting aspect of the firearms we're going to be talking about. Sure. Because they'll use them in particular in some of these ones towards the top of the list that it's not quite outlandish, uh, but it's pretty damn outlandish. Well, and I, that's again what I love about what Copswatch.com is—you're providing a whole bunch more education for people that are watching stuff, and it really does mean the difference inside of movie watching.
0: And I think too, the ballistics are kind of the 380 is not like the 45, where you shoot somebody in a in a hand with a 45, they're gonna fall over dead. Where a 380. It has to be precision, and that's the James Bond thing, yeah. is that he yeah. is going to be precise. If he does shoot you, it's going to be right between the eyes, I, and it, it's going to be with this little bitty tiny gun, and it's yeah. going to be this this massive skill level that is well, representative let's, of the Let's James be Bond.
2: plain about also also. The, the, right. the Walther is ridiculously sleek and smooth. There are very few hard corners on it. And again, that lends itself to the sex appeal of Absolutely. something like a James Bond. Right. So it, it, there's... There's a reason that gun was chosen, and it's not because it was so popular. It's because it lends itself to the image and visage of James Bond. The character, sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, there was one point where every chief that was within a 30-mile radius... Of where I worked <laughs> was carrying a Walther PPK. Interesting. <laughs> and so it was kind of, you know, it, and with Walther too, they've got a great name. It's a higher end price mm-hmm. gun, and mm-hmm. it was kind of a status thing. So, yeah. so yeah. The, the it all feeds into the James Bond too, is he's going to have a gun that's going to be a higher status.
2: Walther's own. got a step up, or not a step up, a same gun in the same class as the M and P Shield that I'm looking at. The difference is that it's about a hundred dollars more. Yeah, offers very few if anything in in the range or feature sets that make it better yeah. Which just happens to be another hundred dollars
0: it says walter
2: that's right it's got the walter <laughs> look <laughs> that's right anyway the walter ppk a great weapon for sure number three the colt m16 with m203 grenade launcher al pacino in scarface
1: Who can forget that? Who
2: can forget Scarface? (laughs) There are so many weapons inside of Scarface. That's almost another Matrix uh, style in the waiting perspective review because there's just so much inside that that movie. But that is the pinnacle inside there.
1: Yeah, he calls that out. He calls that out specifically and and draws attention to that weapon and...
0: Well, he calls it his friend, right? I've got guns that are friends. Right. I get it. <laughs> I get it. I, this is my special gun gun. friend. Right. I, I have a lot right. of friends, but I have one special friend. And right. It's Al Pacino. This is his <laughs> yeah. special friend and you get it.
2: Yeah, it, it's extraordinary. And then the, the weapons handling inside that film is also very interesting in that. You know, and I know part of it's Al Pacino and part of it because I think right then in that 1970s Cone is when they finally started to have Wranglers for firearms inside of feature films in particular. But not inside that feature film, no,
0: not at all <laughs> not it at all from the hip <laughs> it's and,
2: uh, all over the place. the and... grenade
0: launcher at doors that are twenty feet away that would blow splinters through your forehead yeah and yeah. That, was, that was just sheer entertainment yeah
2: it, it, it that and it's very, very manic. again, we look at the character that Al Pacino plays in Scarface as well as half the people inside that movie, frankly, it's all way over the top a pinnacle of that almost caricature of lifestyle inside of criminality. And I think that's why it's latched on inside of circles, uh, in, in particular inside of gang circles. Yeah. Is well, because it is that over the top, ultimate power, do whatever you want, nobody can touch you, except they can.
0: Sure. Right, sure. right, right. Well, that gun itself, it, it, there were tons of like Cobra made a 37 millimeter flare launcher because you couldn't have a grenade launcher so they made this 37 millimeter flare launcher that would mount up oh under God. your gun so people could take their Colt semi-autos and make them look like the Scarface gun and... Airsoft makes a, a Scarface model. So When oh, it's actually called
2: Scarface, I've seen that box.
0: Yes. Does it yes. not say Scarface right on the front of you it? You know, I haven't seen the box, but I've seen the gun itself and mm-hmm. it's like an it's like a replica of and it's just a Colt. It's a M15A1. It looks like just a regular, you know, regular military gun. Mm-hmm. It's got a 203 grenade launcher slapped underneath of it, but it looks like the gun from the movie. Interesting.
2: Um, Interesting. And Airsoft is something we're going to have to talk about too as we start ranging through these others where the the contracts to get those
0: makes, how does that... Do you know how that works at all, Paul? I have no idea how Airsoft that, makes a Glock that looks exactly identical to... That's something that we're going to have to dig form. into
2: because I'd love to have the people on that one Airsoft representatives I think would be great. But then some other people that could tell us the stories of the acquisitions mm-hmm. of not just the ability to make a gun that looks like and or similar and or one-to-one asterisk
1: it's weighted, as too. a
2: gun. It's it's also weighted uh, but the the process of how that actually happens mm-hmm. i find that completely interesting and and how especially when you, again to go back to the matrix again after you have so many weapons inside the matrix that are used and why airsoft models of those many of those guns cuz they're all terribly prolific
1: sure. the scorpions
2: the all of those throughout that that movie are amazing
1: and d- additionally we have and paul can tell you as uh, being a uh, firearms instructor we have weapons that we use. They're not weapons. I guess they're just pieces of plastic, but mm-hmm. they are exactly molded to a Glock frame or a uh, or a, an AR-15 frame. I mean, they are, and I don't know how they get the the molds for those, but they are they're exact, aren't they, Paul?
0: Yes, uh, we we had a guy in Schnooks that had a rifle, and it was a Craigslist deal, and he was trying to sell his rifle to. From one guy to another, and, you know, we were out in the parking lot with rifles trained on them because they're trying to sell this rifle in the parking lot. And from a distance or even up close, it's really, really tough to tell the difference.
2: There was a case recently, and I always think of you guys when I see this stuff in the news. There was one recently where there was some kid who had – it's a BB gun. And uh, there's a Facebook video and or uh, animated GIF, a little picture that moves inside of the stream that I see often. And it is – either a firearms instructor or a police officer that has two guns at his waist and then he points them immediately at you and says which one is which right. and for the untrained eye obviously the answer is both of them are real who, sure. who who would know and why would you take the time to discern which one you would shoot yeah and it really is true the mechanisms that don't have any function at all in the airsoft guns uh there's a bb gun that i have that i sometimes shoot woodpeckers with mm. only the ones that i'm licensed to shoot however
1: <laughs> love your disclaimer there you're welcome no only problem. the ones that are not federally protected that's right i
2: only shoot the three that i've been licensed to murder okay. that's it i swear <laughs> i have the i uh, swear uh you look at that weapon and there is no way to discern no Nothing. uh, There, especially at a distance.
0: Yeah, airsoft's primary market is not the United States. Airsoft's primary market is foreign markets, because in Europe you can't buy a Glock. In Europe you can't buy. You know, we have people come to the range every week mm-hmm. that are in town because they're in on a conference or they're being they're they're shipped in for business purposes or whatever. And they come to a firing range because it's the first time they've ever seen sure. a firearm. The sure. first time they have ever seen a gun, but these airsoft guns don't have, they don't qualify as a firearm. So in places like Europe, they can own mm-hmm. as close to a Glock as possible. Mm-hmm. And so in Europe and South America and in all these countries where they don't allow firearms, they allow airsoft. So that's the only way that they can get to that movie nostalgia that we talked about of, Hey, I have a Glock. It's not real, but it's as close to real yeah. as legally allowed. Yeah. And so it's very interesting. overseas. Airsoft is huge.
2: That's huge. very interesting. It's something that we're going to definitely dig into. We'll have those people here mm-hmm. and we'll make sure we bring Paul back in to, to talk to them and talk more about the process of getting awesome airsoft guns that look very much like, in fact, I would say, especially me being my skill level, completely indiscernible between the Colt 16 with the M203 grenade
1: launcher. Add on to what Paul said, especially about his range. He has a lot of people that come in, and they get a unique perspective because that range comes equipped with a shoot house. You can move the walls and set things Hmm. up. It's one of the things that we do, one of the things that he does, and Paul is a simunition instructor. This is actually a a real gun mm-hmm. that shoots these simunition rounds, and he'll run people through these these programs, and they'll get a real feel for a shooting situation. Not just hey, I'm shooting at a target, but now it's a hey, I'm shooting at a target, or I'm in this uh, lethal force block. situation mm-hmm. yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, which is one of our uh, one of our goals here at whatcopswatch.com, dot com mm-hmm. to put you behind the badge, yeah. and have you understand what it's like. To be in uniform, what it's like to be a police officer and yeah. what it's like to experience some of this stuff. Yeah.
0: I just had a uh, reporter from BBC come into St. Louis and mm. they're doing a follow-up story on the Michael Brown to introduce at the August anniversary, the one-year anniversary. And we put him in the shoot house and we gave him a, a pistol and said, poof, you're a police officer. You're responding to a disturbance inside this house. You come up to the front door. All you hear is two people arguing. They won't respond to the door. You make entry, and that's where you start your your process from. So he walks into the situation. There's two people arguing. They stop. They look at him, and they start profanely saying, What the are aggressor? you doing yeah. here? Mm-hmm. Why are you in my house? No mm-hmm. one called you. And so the two guys come at him. And he starts backing up, backing up. He gets to the door. He draws his gun and says, I am the police. Get away. I will shoot you. They continue, and he shoots them both. And I looked – uh, I called ceasefire yeah, and said, yeah. hey, you just shot two unarmed people. And I was like, you sure you want to keep that on video? And he goes – They were going to, they were going to kill me. They were, they said they were going to kill me. And I go, exactly. So it, it really does give them a feel for what real force is and how you react to that real force.
2: Those, uh, those scenarios. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciated about getting my uh, initial CCW and why I always want to go back and get more education. Those situational things are things that I can read a paragraph with somebody in a room, in a classroom with seven other people. And we can understand the words coming off. But until you're actually there with right. your gun, right. in the situation with somebody in your face yelling profanities at you, it's a completely different game.
0: The feelings, the adrenaline, the emotion. The, right. The- that that mm-hmm. and right. being able to,
2: it's something I don't know a lot of people can understand until you get into it, but the, being able to go back and recall rulemaking is something I know a lot of people have problems with in general. Sure. It turns into something completely different when there's a firearm involved and I I'm glad that you guys brought that up because that's a that, well, that's such an another excellent topic to stick on the array and,
1: of stuff to jump into right absolutely mm-hmm. and not not to continue to beat it to death we gotta get to the the <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know it's one of the things that we are moving forward toward the future especially in film and TV mm-hmm. you know we we do uh, we do the action busting and such mm-hmm. where we look at actors and producers and directors and writers and say hey are they accurate in this law enforcement scenario and upcoming in September, we have a conference that we're putting together called LIDA, the Law mm-hmm. Enforcement Training for the Arts, mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. is going to take people who are in the arts, mm-hmm. who are interested, and put them through these scenarios so yeah. they can have that hands-on experience, that emotion, and that, uh, that real feel. Because you're right, in, until you're holding that weapon and you're in the middle of that heated scenario, you just don't know what it feels like. Well,
2: it also becomes a boilerplate point. Where, and now you've got a badge on right. where now an entire – another array of rules right. instantly get thrown onto your plate that you – you know. again, I, I admire both of you guys as, as police officers because of that. The common sense, the layering of rules, and then the foundation that you guys build that you have to draw from instantly, it doesn't get any more being proud that you guys do that all the time where other people just don't even get that, that something like that happens. That just – I love being able to thank you guys always for that. It's great stuff. Number four, the Colt 45 single action revolver from the Lone Ranger. I
3: Another love that. great
2: film that I think I saw it it, it. it had to have been somewhere in syndication because I did not see the first Black and White series. <clears throat> what, a, what a tremendous weapon. That everybody has either seen it or had in their hand, even if it was a toy. Right. Everybody has had that gun in their hand at one point or another. Well,
1: and, and as a kid, I used to watch the black and white version of the Lone Ranger. And the, he, I, it was. It was the, the prolific weapon. You know, he had the silver bullets that went into it, of yes. course. And the... Uh, and the mask. The, the, right. <laughs> and I mean, but it was his signature. Yes. Right? Yes.
0: Go ahead. Uh, not to get too nostalgic, but yeah, it was... One of nine channels, and you always got excited when <laughs> one of the nine <laughs> channels was the, the, exactly yes, the, the absolutely theme, the the whole thing. It,
2: it, it was a it was a making of heroes in an age when it was great to have so many to choose from, and again the the nostalgia and really the failure of that recent film. Yeah, was that I thought that that movie got none of that. Yeah. None. even though they had the one to one rip off of the theme in it at one point I, I got none of that from the feature film, but all of that during I think every episode every when they episode, when they yeah. break back in into the front end of Lone Ranger, you instantly have that sense of nostalgia, and that gun is leading the way There's absolutely no it's
0: it. a, you know they used to call it shooting iron because it was iron, and you pick up and I'm a Glock fan, I carry it on duty, I carry it off duty, I carry it all the time, but it's plastic, yeah, and when you pick it up yeah. it's it's plastic, it functions, it works, it's great. But when you pick up that Colt Single Action Army, it is metal. It yeah. is a piece of metal, and it is a shooting iron. Yeah. You just it, get a good feel for it. Every
2: time they have – you guys have seen the shows. I don't need to describe them all. On uh, Discovery, there's a series of programs that go back and look at those classic firearms, the Age of the Old West, and – there's something different about it. I, I I can't quite put my fingers on it. Well, then but, to
0: draw a hammer too, you know. Yeah. There's no the new modern semi-autos don't have a hammer on them, and the in the modern production revolvers don't have the same four clicks that when you're pulling that back, you can hear it click, and it's like I'm getting ready, I'm almost ready, I can shoot you. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just awesome. uh, it's just cool, and you know, and obviously it's not, but the the not safe, but. The guys that used to spin the guns and they did all the tricks, you know. Yes. and It's just because they spent that amount of time with that yeah. firearm, it and it's such a part some, of their life. It's also something that you
2: so. don't see. I'm guessing there are no trick shooting teams that incorporate Glock and or any other current existing firearms. Are there? No, no,
0: yeah. I haven't seen any in years. And, years. I, and
2: I, I would love to see that. I, I always, again, to go back to YouTube. There's, uh, we'll link them up as well. There's always somebody that's going out there and shooting things in the middle of nowhere strangely and so i i found a guy inside of a youtube videos i was prepping for research asterisk inside of this program and i found a guy who was shooting shaving cream cans oh really <laughs> yeah and i thought oh, it was very really interesting because you'll throw them up and it turns into like this big fur wig of stuff <laughs> as opposed to just exploding it's very yeah. interesting <laughs> anyway we'll link that up inside the show notes for this episode as well so you guys can go and see that but again the uh I, I, the sense of nostalgia the power, and of course that iron flavor that you were referring to, Paul,
0: and the and the Lone Ranger's gun itself, anyway, because it was high polished nickel. Mm-hmm. It had ivory grips right. on it. It yeah. had a buffalo's head engraved yeah. into yeah. it. I mean, it's yeah. just it hardcore. Was, uh, it absolutely. just said,
1: "Yeah, the, uh, justice. This is the yeah. this is the ultimate peacekeeper here."
2: And, and I think that's what might be missing from today's modern day hero. Glintz is something as. Emblematic as the gun of somebody being related to the hero, but also being a separate hero on its own balance i don't I don't think we have that anymore
0: yeah and, and what Chris said and going from justice to vengeance, I think so much more of of the Lone Ranger era was about justice, and now it's about vengeance uh, the theme of the show or the movie or whatever the situation is has really changed
2: number five the 357 Colt Python four inch and six inch barrels David Soule in Starsky and Hutch Now not to ruin that other podcast over two uh, twoguystalkingcars.com with right. the vehicles right uh, but guess what Starsky and Hutch's car is in there duh
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely.
2: Uh, but this is another another great great gun that I actually didn't even think of when we when we started talking about these lists.
1: Yeah, that, that was a gun that, you know, my, my father had one of those, and he had the uh, shorter barrel Colt Python three fifty seven. Did he have David
2: Soul's hair, by chance?
1: He did not. Okay. You know, if I could find the David Soule <laughs> wig, I could run around <laughs> the house it, right? and play, uh, yeah.
2: The house? You're up at the station house with that, I hope. Right. Man, I'd, I'd make pictures of that. We'd sell that on the internet,
1: Chris. We would. We would. I don't know anybody buy it. But.
0: Well, the Colt Python, for me, was never a gun. It was always a piece of art. Just mm-hmm. the royal blue, yeah. I mean, that was a gun that was, when you looked at it, it looked like it was every, everyone that was touched was handcrafted mm-hmm. and it was flawless. There was no flaws in the blue. The uh, hammer, I now want to go back and look trigger, at this one. Oh, yeah. I, I have one. Absolutely. And uh, so when they came out in 1955, they were, you know, like 80 bucks. I just paid $2,000 for one. Wow. And, and Wow. I was skipping. And is it because it was on
2: that show that the price is so exuberant or is
0: it just Uh, that awesome a gun? It is just that awesome a gun. Really? No, you guys are gonna
2: have to fill me in more now because for a gun that I wouldn't have even thought of on this list. Well,
0: Mm -hmm. the funny part is it came out in nineteen fifty five, which was exactly the same year as the Smith and Wesson twenty nine.
2: Great Scott! So Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, both of them came out. And Colt said, Okay, Smith's coming out with this twenty nine. We need to take ours and step it up a notch, mm-hmm. and so they used mm-hmm. a nicer grade of wood for their for the stocks, for the grips. They used a better grade of bluing, and it it truly it truly looks like art. And, the, it is silly and is it's silly and as I don't think so as it makes it me sound, but it's a, when you look at a colt python and you look at one that's still in the original condition and a survivor, it's just just beautiful to, to 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 look at.
1: I I agree. I couldn't agree more. And that's that's what I remember as a kid. I remember the gun my dad had. That was that was the the Cadillac of guns. I mean wow. that that was the one that was the one that really caught your eye.
2: And firing this weapon, what does that fire like, Paul?
0: So the trigger is really refined. So the trigger is a lighter trigger than Mm -hmm. normal. And Mm -hmm. they kind of took a chance on people shooting themselves with it, but, uh, they didn't because they, they respected it. And with, with it being a higher price point gun, too, they didn't have just kind of the average guy walking off the street and buying these guns. Mm -hmm. They were a higher price point where people who, who knew guns wanted this gun. The, the smoothness is really hard to describe when you, when you draw the hammer back on a Smith, on a Smith and Wesson. It's a good hammer pull. When you pull the hammer back on a Colt, you just kind of stop and go, did that really just happen? (laughs) It's just just that much smoother than (laughs) than what the Smith & Wesson production gun has to offer. You really have to spend a lot of money on something else to get it to where it was a factory production Colt.
2: When we talk about the difference between a 4-inch and a 6-inch barrel, what are... What are we talking about there other than, what,
0: concealability? Distance. So the longer the barrel is, the longer your powder burns. Mm -hmm. And so you generate more power with a longer barrel. And then it has an additional two inches of rifling. So, you know, you increase your your rifling ability by 20% or 30%, whatever that that Mm -hmm. number is. Mm -hmm. And it gives you the ability for the bullet to stabilize longer. So if you're shooting at 100 yards, a 100 100-yard shot is easier to make with a 6-inch barrel than it is a 4-inch barrel mm-hmm. because you have more power, longer stability, and your sight radius is, is longer. So for humans, it's easier to shoot a longer sight radius than it is a shorter sight radius. So just all the way around, it's just an easier gun to shoot. Interesting. So and I'm definitely
2: going to have to go look at this. And remember, you guys can look at pictures of all of these options and awesome firearms over at whatcopswatch.com forward slash Top 10 one.
0: Well, the Python has resurged in uh, popularity because of The Walking Dead. Oh. Really? <laughs> well, that's Rick's gun in The Walking Dead is the Cole it. Python. Interesting. Now, so... have they
2: modified it or something inside of Walking Dead? No. No. Nope. It's
0: exactly the same gun. It's, it's a... <laughs> Colt Python that he was he was you know supposedly a police officer that was carrying a revolver still but it's a it's a 6 inch Colt Python Do you and, guys know any
2: police uh, officers that would be carrying that revolver in particular? I don't not think under so. The
0: age of no, the 80. No.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. No, but the uh six I mean, shot I'm assuming, yeah. Back It is. Yeah. Back in the academy uh that is the 357. The Smith and Wesson 357 was the big L frame, K frame. Am I right? So K frames. K yeah. frame, okay. That's what we qualified on. We, oh wow! That's um, you know, back when I went through, that's what we qualified on. It you know, we had 38 special rounds that they loaded into that. It was still a revolver. It hadn't been uh, wasn't an automatic mm. at the time. So because mm. he's older than me, Cause I'm a little, <laughs> I'm just a little older,
2: <laughs> a little bit, just a tiny bit. So we've come to the halfway point of this list of awesome, prolific firearms in TV and movie history. We're going to take a break here during this episode of WhatCopsWatch.com. We'll be right back.
3: Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, Those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to Perpetual Advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique Perpetual Advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors.
2: The movies have taken generations, young and old, by storm. Toy Story, starring Tom Hanks and a voice cast that just will not quit, are ready to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking. Be sure to join me, Mike Wilkerson, and an array of guest hosts as we review each and every one of the beloved Toy Story franchise, one, two, and the most recent, three, only from Two Guys Talking.
1: Fight Ribbon Clothing Company, clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness, Fight Ribbon Clothing Company, because what you wear matters. Visit FightRibbon.com.
2: Join in a unique, interactive experience as we put you inside the mind and heart of the law enforcement professional and delve into the culture of policing. Hi, I'm Mike Wilkerson from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, where I've reviewed hundreds of police procedural television programs and movies. But the question remains, does Hollywood get it right? What does it really feel like when you search for a suspect inside an abandoned building? The fear, the adrenaline, the unknown. Law enforcement training for the arts, or LIDA, is an experience like no other. Fingerprints. Ballistics. DNA. Our team of professionals have numerous years in law enforcement to include those with experience in the United States Secret Service, the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI, the United States Military, along with other local, state, and federal entities. Our unique facilities offer the same interactive courses that the police themselves use to train. This will be an experience of a lifetime that you'll never forget. Check out the details now at letaconference.com. That's L E T A conference.com and sign up for the upcoming convention. Seats are limited, but we're eager to see you behind the thin blue line. letaconference.com LETAConference.com. Go behind the badge.
1: Two Guys Talking is proud to announce a new program on the Two Guys Talking podcast network Conspiracy
2: Agents, hosted by Kevin Hawthorne, which will provide outstanding conspiracy and mystery based content to the Two Guys Talking network. Check it all
1: out now at ConspiracyAgents.com as another new year of captured perspective here at Two Guys Talking begins. Conspiracy Agents, hosted by Kevin
2: Hawthorne. Conspiracy Agents. That's ConspiracyAgents.com.
0: Things in 1982 were a lot more simple. BMX bikes the Versailles apartment complex in Schomburg, Illinois, the sweet, innocent kiss of Andrea Schaefer, and of course, a little film from a man named Steven Spielberg called E.T. Science fiction, the detail of a broken but still together family, the relationships that were made when you were 12, ones that are never again truly realized. It seems a lot heavier than most remember, but. All of these things and more await you in the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Steven Spielberg's E.T. 1982 on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Check it out now at twoguystalking.com. That's the number two, guystalking.com. Greg Howdy Show, the Chief of Police with the Warrenton, Missouri Police Department. You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
2: Everyone, welcome back to WhatCopsWatch.com. This time, we're focusing on the 10 most prolific firearms in TV and feature film history, Volume 1. Before we left, we went through number 5, which was the 357 Colt Python from Starsky & Hutch, as well as the wig for Chris. Number 6, the Colt 1911 A1 Paul Michael Glazier inside of Starskin Hutch So on the other side of the car we got this awesome other white stripe and that one is for Paul Michael Glazier inside so of we that with this one, had to throw him in there yeah the why not why cult, not
1: right the Colt 45 1911 though and Paul can tell us more is is the classic that's the classic old military issue weapon correct
0: yeah, it was used by the United States military from 1911 till 1986 when the Beretta 92FS took over. Mm-hmm. So it is the longest-running military-issue sidearm of any gun that the United States has ever had. And, I mean, not just Darsky and Hutch, but if you went through movies, you can almost—every gun movie is going to have a 1911. Mm-hmm.
2: It's just My dad's that. got a Kimber 1911.
0: Yeah, I have, like, nine. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all different and that's the that's awesome. the draw of the 1911 well, of is. Yeah. is that you've got a full size you've got a compact you have a competition firearm you have i have what i refer to as my dress gun that i wear to wedding and funerals and it's a high polished stainless steel it's got these beautiful cocobolo grips on it and it's just it's uh it's a presentation gun it's just really really sharp but then i've got my my down and dirty gun that if i'm I'm in the woods, you know, with the chainsaw and worried about coyotes or whatever the situation is. I've got another 1911. That's. What a that's would a coyote even
2: approach gun, you? So. Come on, man. Seriously. So,
0: a real, <laughs> a real big coyotes.
1: one. <laughs> it has to be a very big one. A
2: huge so, coyote with a capital C,
1: maybe.
0: Or bear. Maybe. You know? so you, you, part of the reason people buy guns is they have to have a reason. <laughs> and so whether and if, the reason's plausible or not, you still buy the gun because it could happen. I forgot the and whole if, plausible if, reason if part if of if gun If you owner. don't
1: have a reason, you call Paul at Ultimate Defense Firing Range, and they will give you a reason. Oh,
0: That's absolutely. Right. Were you arrested on the way here? No. You deserve whatever you want to buy. So awesome. We will give you whatever reason you need.
2: I love that. And again, the, the 1911 is... I don't oh there is a there is a place online to go and check for nineteen eleven listings inside of movies and we'll hook it up over at the show notes for this episode, but it's the Internet movie firearms database, one of our favorite places to go because I kid you not, every television and movie series ever is listed with what is there and why. It's and amazing. Somebody with a
0: lot of free time.
2: I don't know about free time but it is a wonderful resource online and uh, uh, again our the Matrix perspective review was driven by a lot of that cuz frankly there's some exotic guns inside of the Matrix that I don't know anybody owns and we can talk turkey about them because we can get the details from the firearm manufacturer sure but the the detail inside of their inside of the internet uh, movie firearms database is amazing it's really good stuff and um, we'll link up to that as well number 7 the Beretta 92FS, Mel Gibson, in Lethal Weapon. Yes.
1: How awesome was this movie, too? Classic. And, and hey. highlighting that gun throughout the scene where he's shooting the helicopter and he goes through two magazines uh, trying to hit the helicopter and how, how accurate he, he was, you know, from his, uh, I guess, his police and uh, military training, his time in Vietnam and such. and Yeah, I it it was the uh, it was the gun like paul said right that the military went to after the 1911
0: it was this was the gun that brought the high cap magazine forefront mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when when the 1911 that was shoot seven rounds, which is, you know, one more bullet than a revolver. So a lot of people mistrusted the semi auto because they had the propensity to malfunction until mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. The Beretta came out with the gun and said, Hey, our gun doesn't jam. Our gun doesn't break and we'll put 15 rounds through it. And you do that all day long. And we sent it to the military. The military tested it that it met mil-spec, but it brought the world from a seven round. Handgun into a 15-round handgun and really changed that in the the Smith and Wesson series. When law enforcement abandoned revolvers and went to high-capacity magazines, that's what they went to as a Beretta 92. Yeah,
1: and that and that scene that I was talking about is the exact same thing that he he brought up. It's the high capacity. It's how fast can you pull that trigger? Watch what this does. So I I don't know I that I was drawn to to that in that movie i mean it was something that that caught my attention and i think kind of like i said like the other guns defines that character something that
2: we kind of uh, we didn't define it we started talking about competition between the gun manufacturers and i mean that's been a driving force forever since Mm -hmm. the first gun was ever manufactured i get that Mm -hmm. but inside of this span with the with the larger magazine abilities what happened to guns when that started to happen when it started to be where you're not just carrying six bullets in a gun at a time, what describe describe what happened inside of the competition part of manufacturing firearms back then? Was it always just let's see what kind of really great 15 round magazine we can shove into a gun then?
0: Or so the whole thing with uh, semi-autos was to attempt to get them to be reliable. So there were so many uh, the the balance that we talked about of bullet weight compared to powder size compared to primer mm-hmm. of what driven I mean that's really a combination lock oh yeah where you have to get the right combination yeah. lock and so there were, you know, the German Lugers did well, but they did malfunction. And the 1911s did well, but they did malfunction. And you had to keep them pristine, and you had to keep them well oiled, and you had to do all these things. When the Beretta and the Smith and Wesson finally came around to to these nine millimeter high capacities, the Beretta especially, they figured it out. They got to a point where they got slide weight, they got recoil springs, all of those. All those engineering dynamics, they got it to a point where you literally could take a gun, shoot a thousand rounds, and it wouldn't malfunction anymore. And prior to, prior to that, it was tough. It was really an anomaly if you ended up with a semi-auto that didn't malfunction within the first couple hundred rounds.
2: Interesting. Interesting. We're going to link up to, again, all these weapons, because the, the, the fun of the history of guns, I think, is also a piece of what, why I think they're endearing to me. Because there's a difference between just having some bullets to shoot at people with and then, what these really started to define, in particular, law enforcement, with it sure. becomes something completely different.
0: Uh, well, the Beretta 92 still holds a, a special place for me because it was my first handgun. Mm. It was the first gun that I picked up, and, and with not a limited amount of knowledge, but not nearly the, the degree of knowledge that I have now, it just felt good. You mm-hmm. know, it, again, it was that metal frame gun, it felt like a firearm. Uh, double what is, single the, trigger. what is the
2: weight on something like this fully loaded? <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine it would just be heavy, because you got 15 rounds, the entire thing is metal. Yeah,
0: so 15 rounds is going to be a third of a box of ammo that's, yeah. that's loaded into it. Amazing,
2: but. amazing. I think one of the other pieces to remember inside of that movie is not just that scene that, that Chris remembered, uh, but also that is another movie where that gun becomes another character inside the film.
0: Right, It does, because uh, you see... Danny Glover is the older cop. He's the traditional kind of guy and he's carrying a revolver, revolver. still mm-hmm. and right, now the you old got gun. Yeah, now you've got the new cop who's kind of crazy and kind of everything else and he's yeah. got the new gun, the, yeah. the new that, technology. And that crazy cop
2: yeah. on the edge, that also started a, a huge trend in movies back then where yeah there are now hundreds of cop on the ragged edge right. films that are out there that frankly don't help you guys as cops not, really. <laughs> no, not, not, at not at all not at all oh i get so you're the Riggs guy right right no <laughs> no actually we, we kind of frown on the Riggs guys at the at the shop correct yeah number eight the glock 17 second generation nine millimeter tommy lee jones in the fugitive and <laughs> This is another movie that just came in on Blu-ray for me. This and Heat came in at the same time. Yeah. Uh, what what a f- tremendous film! Mm-hmm. But the Glock seventeen makes an appearance in this that is just unbelievable.
1: And I actually saw this weapon. They had it framed and in a hard rock cafe. I can't remember what city, but they had it framed and in was a, it real? Uh, yeah, really. Yeah, and and uh, it was. I guess it was one of the Glocks that he hmm. used in
0: the movie. Well, that line of, get rid of the sissy gun and buy yourself a Glock. I mean, that just, every Glock owner on the planet was like, yes, yes, that's right, go get a, get, go get a Glock, get rid of the sissy gun. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey. accu- and
1: accuracy, I think, you know, that was when we were trending toward Glocks in law enforcement, and um, I don't know, Paul can maybe tell us, I'm not sure if this is true but you know that's got to be one of the most prolific guns among law enforcement in the United States today
0: well after glock was introduced it took over 65% of the law enforcement market it took over the largest chunk of law enforcement that that any any firearm had ever had the whole thing with the Glock is that they don't break, they don't jam, they don't malfunction. They had a tenifer finish on it to where if you are are working uh, an accident in the winter and the salt truck comes by and decides, hey, look at the cop! I'm going to turn him into a margarita," and you know, throws the salt on you as you're standing on the side of this accident, which happens frequently. Mm-hmm. You don't have to immediately go home and scrub this gun down. It just didn't care. And then after not taking care of it for, you know, armors like myself, you know, we would see the guns come in and they would have dust bunnies on them and and the salt would still be there from the winter and everything. And you would take the gun, clean it up, and it looked like new. And it never had a a, never had a function issue. The law enforcement side kind of started it, but then when the gangster side picked it up and decided, "Okay, Glocks are cool. The cops have them. We're going to have them too." And I mean, it's just the the it's one of the brands that you could walk up to anybody in the United States and say Glock, and they immediately know what you're talking about. So they've done a phenomenal job with. with Uh,
2: When did law enforcement transition to Glock? Do you do you remember?
0: about 1995 was the the big And what push. was
2: the impetus? What was the the push? That's exactly where I was going. What what was the and we must do something different. What was there a Glock case or a sample that
0: brilliant in their marketing? Glock would have chiefs, and and I don't know if this is segment-worthy or not, but Glock would would bring chiefs and captains and lieutenants and firearms instructors to Smyrna, Georgia. Mm -hmm. They would wine them. They would dine them. Glock owned a strip club. So... After they would do their Glock I, I demonstrations. I was never invited. <laughs> <laughs> just <the> record. Okay. <laughs> I saw you when I was there. <laughs> but they had a strip club, and when people would walk out the door, they were they were just like, oh, man, I, I owe Glock. And then too, <laughs> Glock did this thing where they would take their gun on a range, and the the firearms instructor would pick it up. And he'd load it and he'd throw it on the ground and then he'd kick it across and then he'd go get in his car and run over it. And then he then would dip it in a bucket of sand and just, he would just, you know, again, firearms traditionally were something Mm -hmm. that were heirlooms. They were passed down from generation to generation and you were careful with them and you made sure they weren't rusty. And here's this guy just completely disrespecting this firearm. And one, it's not going off. Two, it's taking the abuse. And three, you shoot it when it's done and it still fires. And so that's, the, that's what captured the, the minds of law enforcement was Damn. that wow. you just couldn't hurt it. You couldn't damage it to the point where it wouldn't, wouldn't fire.
1: They threw them. I remember them throwing them out of helicopters and airplanes and picking them up off the ground. It might break the front sights off or whatever it was, and they'd still fire.
0: Yeah, so 10 millimeter is a 40 caliber elongated. So 10 Mm -hmm. millimeter came out so guys could make major and competition shoots. Mm -hmm. And then they kept downloading the nine millimeter to the 10 millimeter Mm -hmm. until it became a handleable round. And then when it became to the point where you could handle it and it had a decent amount of of reliability because 10 millimeter sucked. Um, yeah to, it entered in the competition world and then right. it bled from the competition world but Glock was one of the first manufacturers to to offer that gun in a 40 caliber and the the
1: 40 there was some what was the issue i mean cuz there was some there was a transition from the Beretta 92 to the 40 caliber yeah
0: in LA there was a police officer i don't remember what it was but he shot a guy 17 times and he lit with the 9mm yeah he shot him with a Beretta 92 17 times and he lived okay it was sucky shots but but okay. You know, it's all about shot placement. You know, we talk about in in our concealed carry courses, it's about putting rounds to stop the threat. And if you don't put rounds in the right place, it doesn't matter if it's a 9 or a 45, it's not going to stop the threat.
2: Number nine, the GEM 134 minigun. Handheld, of course. Jesse Ventura in Predator. This was one of our very first perspective reviews, by the way. I have to mention that. I'd like everyone to make sure you go over to twoguystalkingcom forward slash predator because it was actually the original perspective review that we had inside of Two Guys Talking. And it, it, it is beyond an extraordinary movie. That, yep. that movie is, if you could put that into a blender and then pour it into a glass and drink it, that is liquid nostalgia. Yep. It, it oozes everything but very much because of the minigun inside of that film. Yeah. It is a tremendous weapon. It's held by a tremendous personality inside a team of people of tremendous personalities mm-hmm. who are, by the way, led by a guy with a tremendous personality, right. directed they're... by a guy with a tremendous personality. It's all just wonderfully done.
0: Yeah, and that gun especially. I remember watching you know, Jesse Ventura carry this through the jungle going, is it time? Is it time? Or is he gonna shoot it <laughs> now? he's not. Oh, yeah. and then when he finally opens it up, yeah. you're like, "That is the coolest thing ever." Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. And, and it was. I mean, I mean the 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 destruction of forest alone inside that film right. with just that gun. Right. Uh, to to see Jesse turned into nothing when he's wearing that gun by the Predator's weapon, right. it it is an amazing echelon of firearm mm-hmm. that nothing can stop except, of course, the the Predator's weapon. Right that it is used once again by Arnold by Arnold's team and the rest of the people inside of that movie. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. And then when you get to see it strapped to helicopters where people have to have it strapped to helicopters because it couldn't possibly be used handheld like that is also amazing. Just, Great stuff. And how if is that? If you were Paul? like
0: the Incredible Hulk and could carry an eighty-five pound gun <laughs> with, then you add the 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 weight of the ammunition.
2: What is the weight of the ammunition? I want people to understand that because I don't think they get it.
0: Well, it's it's hard if, to discern because it shoots thirty three rounds a second. Yeah. So every time you pull the trigger, it's going to shoot thirty three rounds, no matter what you do. So if you're carrying three seconds worth of ammo, you've got a hundred rounds of ammo. So you're talking, you know, nine ten pounds of of ammo for three seconds, mm-hmm. you know the scene where he actually just obliterates the jungle. He'd have to have like a small jeep next to him <laughs> <laughs> to carry the amount of ammo he fires. That's right; wear. they can
2: pick it up at the the local Circle K to get more. And then it's...
0: he'd also have to have a fire suit on, yeah, because with the amount of heat that would be pouring off of that gun by the time that it got by the time he fired the jeep full of ammo through it it would just spontaneously combust him and just, he would just catch on fire at that point
2: i love the science pieces of that because again it it, it the gun is so ridiculous to begin with the, the that's 33 anything can go anywhere in a second in general i mean that's just crazy to think about anyway
0: well it's computer controlled and it's actually you can have alternate settings on it so you can shoot two thousand rounds per minute or you can crank it up to four thousand rounds per minute so at two thousand rounds per minute you're shooting 33 rounds a second and when you think about how many you know there's bullets in the barrel behind each other at that point but at four thousand rounds a second when you're shooting 66 rounds a, a second it's just just unfathomable and i mean that's real speed it's hard to believe that that anything can go can go that fast
2: yeah, that it is indelible and it drives everything inside of that Predator film, which, uh, again, is an extraordinary movie. You can also go and listen to the perspective review of that film right now by going over to two guys talking dot com forward slash Predator, as well as this uh, what I consider the direct sequel to that film, which is Predators with an S. Both of those movies had extraordinary moments, extraordinary weapons and lots and lots of story to drive a really great franchise that I hope they don't run into the ground with the next film. Number 10, floating atop the wonderful top of this volume one list is the Italian Franchi Spaz 12 combat shotgun with no stock. Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator. What an extraordinary weapon, as well as another extraordinary movie, yep. which we are unfortunately coming up on a total question mark sequel here inside of 2015. Correct. Thankfully, we will have a wonderful perspective review of that film. Whether it's wonderful or not, we'll see. Uh, and The other thing you can remember, too, is that we ran through an entire series over at the terminatorpodcast.com where we go through every movie, every television episode from Saracana Chronicles, as well as this next movie that you can listen all to now by going over to terminatorpodcast.com.
1: Fine. He goes into Which the is? gun shop, he names off yeah. what he's going to take. And then he kills the guy yeah.
0: with the shotgun.
2: Hey, you can't do that.
0: Yeah. Wrong. That's, the, uh, that's yeah. the shotgun. Yeah. Well, this shotgun was the first time that we saw a combat shotgun in yes, film. Yes, tactical. Because yeah. even even like World War II, like a Winchester Model 12, they made a trench gun. And you could put a knife on it. And, but it was still a woodstock. It's still, I mean, it looked like a traditional grandpa go shoot a quail gun. Yes. And this was the first time that when you came out, you were like, what? is that that's that's a 12 gauge that's a shotgun and so it was the the first the first time that you really in a movie got to glimpse this this combat shotgun and it looked awesome and and, in actuality was a raging piece of poo (laughs) it was a a gun that that it had a function on it that it was semi-auto but then you could press a button and it would turn into a pump and the reason for that is it would jam so much <laughs> that <laughs> – and, and to be fair, a lot of a lot of shotguns that were semi-auto at the time had function problems. But the theory behind it was I'm going to fire this gun till it jams. Then I can press the button, pump the jam out of the way, and then continue to fire with a, a pump shotgun. So it was built for failure. <laughs> it was built, <laughs> built for, for failure. Awesome. So, and then, too – That gun was – it was just a monster as far as weight Yeah. because you essentially had a pump and a semi-auto all jammed onto one frame. And then uh, the scene where he is going through the police department and he's firing this thing one-handed, I'm a pretty strong guy and there's no way I'm going to be able to (laughs) to wield this thing with one hand. This is
2: the perfect opportunity because, again, we did the the Terminator perspective review that we did many, many years ago now. Oh, when we did that, I didn't have access to cops, and now I do. What What does a scene like that generate inside of cops, like you guys?
0: Well, you throw the bullshit flag, and it's right. tough because you're like, "Pretty quickly. this is really cool." Oh, they just poo pooed it. They just, you know, they just ruined that scene because there's no way. And and except murderous when, robot, exactly. Right. Well, I forgot murderous <laughs> robot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's stronger than normal, but <laughs> <laughs> stronger but,
2: than normal robot,
0: right? But uh, yeah, yeah, when you see. Because the spas 12 was something that you didn't see. There were only, in total, there were only like 2,000 of those imported into the United States. Mm-hmm. So it was a really, really rare gun. And you had to be a giant gun nerd. To even know what that gun was, and so when you saw it, it was cool in seeing it. But then later on, you found out, eh, it's poo, it's heavy. If you if you take the stock off of it, it's u- essentially useless at this point. And so and the small gun dealer down the road probably wouldn't have had one, right? <laughs> no, no, he's not gonna have one sitting on the shelf going. Well,
2: and... he was definitively Italian, so maybe he had the connection someplace,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> that and the the Uzi that he took out of there. Yeah, Yeah. but those guns were, it was, and the value of those guns, even though they are poo, are really, really high because they stopped importing them um, back with the assault weapons ban because they had no sporting purpose whatsoever. And that just made the gun cooler because you had it in a movie. Adds to Mystique, right? Exactly. Yeah, Mystique
2: Mystique will drive just about everything. There's a wonderful series that used to be on HBO. The, The reason I liked it is because, you know, you have what the real story is or you can print the legend. And when you can print the legend, you, of course, print the legend. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very much what, what Spaz is taking advantage of inside of this entire legacy of that firearm. Yeah. Yes. Is you absolutely print the legend because then the value of having the weapon goes up, which means that it costs more money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Extraordinary. And on top of our list during Volume 1 here inside of the most prolific firearms, inside of TV and movie history, What did we miss inside of this listing? What did we miss in regard to feedback about any of these weapons? Remember, you can go over to whatcopswatch.com, click anywhere on the right-hand side inside the feedback form. Fill that out for us and let us know what you think. So we come to the part of the Volume 1 listing of most prolific firearms inside of TV and movie history where we choose which of these we would have in our holster, even though some of them wouldn't fit in a holster. Paul, why don't we start with you since you're the guest?
0: Uh, with law enforcement background, I'm sticking with the Glock. So <laughs> no way! I, if no if, way! I have always said <laughs> if you took all my firearms away and said you could have one gun, it would be a Glock 19, and it just—it's that medium frame. I can use it as a duty gun. I can use it as an off-duty gun. It holds 17 rounds of nine millimeter. And does that medium me frame out, so. awesome feel good in your massive hand? It does. Because the Glock frames are all the same size. So mm-hmm. the handles are all the same size regardless if you get a full-size frame or a small frame. Mm-hmm. It just shortens the the length of the frame. Mm-hmm. The diameter stays the same. Mm-hmm. So when I pick up my medium frame, it feels just like my full-size frame except it's a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And that's why – and the funny part is, as I've always said, if you took all my guns away and said you could have one, it would be a Glock 19. But for years, I didn't own a Glock 19. Because my duty gun was a full size forty caliber, mm-hmm. and my off duty gun was the subcompact, mm-hmm. so I had two guns for two different purposes. Mm-hmm. But if you only gave me one, it would be that medium frame gun that, that middle, would right. do both. Yeah. So I had to buy one because if I only had one, that would be it. And Netflix so does conceal little, little and critical.
2: carry become something completely different for you just because of your literal massive size? I mean, a gun that's gonna fit me, the guy that at 180 pounds, five foot eight, it. it I, I imagine you could hide anything on you. Could you not?
0: Yes. It makes life a whole lot easier. So we get the the one of the biggest issues that we deal with in concealed carry. And we have the there's a a group called the Well-Armed Woman. And we have the largest chapter of the Well-Armed Woman of any any range, any club. We host the largest one in the United States. And so we have 150 women that come to us and go. How do I carry a gun? And some of them are five foot three. They weigh 110 pounds. And mm-hmm. so you have a gun and you're, you know, it's almost like sizing it. You hold it up to different parts of their body and go, I don't know. <laughs> so size, size definitively makes a difference as far as, as being able to carry. Cause yeah, I could carry an AK with a sweatshirt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> AK with a sweatshirt. Awesome. Uh, Chris, which one of these are you putting in your holster? Yeah, he took my answer. Um, oh. You know, if it's on the list, yeah, mm-hmm. i got to go with the Glock. If it's if it's not on the list, I still go with the Glock. The one that I carry on duty, it's the Glock 22. Glock 22. The,
2: uh, full and Paul, what are the differences between caliber. the Glock that you're carrying and the 22 that Chris wants?
0: Caliber. And so they're exactly the same gun. They just have a different barrel diameter and a mm-hmm. different extractor. So that's it. You know, it's, so. what,
1: it, it's what I'm used to. It's what I've you know qualified with for years it's it's the gun that paul actually made me proficient with through his years of uh, firearms instruction yeah the biggest thing he hit it last time he was describing it's just reliable it's it it doesn't fail and um you know you throw it out of a helicopter or an airplane and it still shoots
2: yeah uh, on the listing here for my holster i think i've got to take the one that will help me make sure that i hit the target regardless of how many rounds i need to use whether it's 1 or 33 in a second I'm going to have to go with the minigun inside of this listing because when the hell else am I going to go with a, something I could shove inside of my right. non-existent holder that fires so many rounds at once? Yeah. That's just
1: awesome. And you could sell the minigun and probably buy <laughs> 3,000 Glocks, right?
2: I hadn't thought of it that way. Right. That's a great way to go. Or just the ammo. I could sell the ammo
1: often.
0: Right. Now, unfortunately, you're going to have to buy a small car to <laughs> mount it on. <laughs> Have a little remote to drive the car, what, make you, a little tank. What
2: kind of rounds does that fire?
0: It's a .308, 7.62. Okay, shoots a, uh, it shoots a 7.62 round.
2: And what is a round of? do You sell those in a hundred? No, you sell those in fifty, don't you?
0: So we sell those in twenty. In twenty, yeah, and they're <laughs> they're pretty much about seventy cents to a dollar a round, depending on what it is. And military okay. contracts obviously cheaper. You get but, something cheaper, but, right, yeah. Civilian right. stuff. If you want to shoot good stuff, you just figure a buck around. Yeah. so thirty-three the, rounds, thirty-three dollars.
2: This whole time we've been alluding to a wonderful firing range gun shop slash learning school slash place that you own. Why don't we talk about that just a little bit? We haven't really talked about your skill sets either. Firearms instructor begins to describe it, but tell us more.
0: So I've been given some talents since birth and one was, the ability to fight. The other one was the ability to shoot, and so I could either have become a criminal or a police officer. Yeah. Well, sorry. thanks for not being a criminal. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Great job. <laughs> so it ended up working out. Kept me out of jail. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in that uh, in that scheme and scope of law enforcement, I just really had a big desire because I shot really, really well. And I was surrounded by a bunch of people that really struggled with it, and they had intimidation when they went to the range, and they were just they was were worried about, am I going to qualify? And if you don't qualify, then you have to go through this process. And so I started helping other people, and and to to try to reduce that animosity and or try to reduce that hesitancy. But also to make myself safer. Because if I'm going through a house with a guy who doesn't have a lot of confidence in his firearm, Hell yeah. then that's not the best. Or you're taking half the in. equation away. Yeah, I exactly. agree with that. I agree with that. So I, I really excelled in getting people to understand the dynamics of a firearm and not being intimidated by it and, and understanding that that there's a process just like shooting a free throw. Mm-hmm. If you were If you had never been given a basketball before and somebody says, here, I want you to stand 15 feet away and I want you to throw it through that wire rim up there. And without giving them any direction or any any kind of understanding at all, I mean, it would go all over the place. And that's not necessarily what happens in law enforcement, but you got people out there who can stand on a free throw line and go, okay, move your arm in now or extend higher. And that was my job, was to get people better, get more proficient. And I really excelled at it. And I really enjoyed doing it. When Conceal carry passed, Back in 2003, we started to take my skill set, and we introduced it to the general public. And the general public really enjoyed straight answers. Sponge, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so they, they felt like they were getting not law enforcement training, but they were being trained by law enforcement, which is what they were doing. And when they left the class, they were excited, they were invigorated, they, they had an understanding of what use of force was, mm-hmm. and they weren't looking to be a cowboy They were looking to avoid the confrontation because of what they learned in the class. We had literally thousands of people come to us and ask us for training, so much so that we developed Ultimate Defense Firing Range and Training Center. Mm -hmm. Ultimate Defense has a a triangle theory of what we want to do is we want to have the best retail center, where when you come in... We don't sell you a gun, we fit a gun to you. So we'll take a look at your hand, we'll take a look at your comfort level, we'll take a look at what your purpose is for the firearm, Mm -hmm. and we'll fit the gun to what you're looking for. Then we'll train you on how to use that gun. We have concealed carry courses, we have courses that are, are called first steps. For people who have never fired a gun before in Mm -hmm. their life, they can walk through the door and we can get over that animosity and you'll have a trained instructor standing right behind you in case you do drop the gun or in case something does happen. But having that trainer behind you gives the confidence that you need to kind of get past that first and second and third shots to to get on the path of becoming comfortable and confident. Mm -hmm. And then the third aspect of it is it's a firing range. And a lot of people go, oh, one of the neighbors that – contested are going into the the location in st peter's said they teach people to shoot people and that's not what we do it's a sport it's just like bowling Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like billiards except ours has a point when you go in and you do bowling you you throw a ball down some wood and try to knock pins over there's no point to that it's just entertainment it's just fun it's a tool that you're trying to knock other things down with a firearm is the same thing. It's a skill game. You go out onto the range, and you try to use your skill to get as many bullets in as small a group as possible as fast as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And it gets frustrating when you learn. You you reach these plateaus, and then you become and you challenge yourself, and it's a fun environment to be in. But unlike bowling, my skill game has a practical application. We've trained over 27,000 people to do concealed carry. Out of the 27,000 people, we've had five people who have used their guns in legal and lawful acts of self-defense. Those five people, three of them would absolutely certainly be dead if they hadn't had the skills Mm -hmm. that we taught them. Mm -hmm. And so it's a good feeling for, for us as a training facility and then obviously the people who aren't dead. Are, they have a good feeling <laughs> so, yeah. so the skill sets that we're teaching them uh, actually have that practical application and it's just a, a very friendly comfortable and professional environment
2: well I totally agree on every aspect that you provided uh, there's something else that you missed out on was kids that you uh, to go back to the bowling analogy there is an entire array of ramp for children as well which is something I think is missing in just about every aspect.
0: Yeah, so what we did is we did some armed classes and we did some unarmed classes, Mm -hmm. too. And even Mm -hmm. before in St. Louis, there was an outbreak of suspected people that were snatching kids up, and and everybody had this fear. Two years before that outbreak in the St. Louis area, we had a kid's self-defense course. Mm -hmm. And this kid's self-defense course is taught by a former Secret Service agent. She is incredible, and she gets along with the kids, and she teaches these kids how to make unbelievable commotion, how to flail to where they're almost impossible to get into a car. I mean, us as as parents have always had our kids have the fit. (laughs) We're trying to get them out of the grocery store and their arms are flailing and their legs are flailing and the people in the grocery store are looking at us like, oh, you're a terrible father. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what she teaches them. And so to make sure that the kids don't get snatched up, we do an unarmed women's self-defense course because a lot of times women came to us and said, hey, I don't have the ability to carry my gun at my job. I'm not comfortable carrying a firearm when I have my kids with Mm -hmm. me or for whatever that situation was. So we created a whole line of training for them that's unarmed training. And then as far as the youth goes, we also have a youth league. And the youth league is really cool because we've got a firearms instructor that teaches these kids not just safety but – the proper use of a firearm mm-hmm. and how to we we've, we've challenged other ranges we will set up a, a a target type scenario and go hey bring your youth group over we'll challenge you and they're like nah we heard." yeah <laughs> so they yeah. they don't even they don't even want to play with yeah. us when
2: well, so. I, I love that and again to go back to the bowling comparison analogy both sports can take in everybody across an array but the fact is that shooting skills are going to go way longer across an array and can also help defend your home in the future.
0: Absolutely. You can't
2: throw a bowling ball at somebody down your hallway and hope the best is going to happen. Yeah. And so I, I, bowling is a wonderful analogy. I'm totally going to steal that when I'm talking to people about <laughs> firearms. It's wonderful. That's, it's fantastic, and it really is a, a great place. Where can people go to find more about uh, Ultimate Defense Ball?
0: The website's the best place to get more information, mm-hmm. and the website is www.udrange.com. Yeah. We're located in St. Peter's, Missouri. Mm-hmm. We're the only firing range in St. Peter's, Missouri. Um, it's an 18-lane indoor climate-controlled range, so yeah. if it's hot outside like it is today <laughs> at 91 degrees when you come to the range, it's, it's 70 awesome. degrees. Yeah. It is It is a very comfortable and Super comfortable, yeah.
2: And we'll make sure we link up to everything uh, that you've talked about here inside of uh, whatcopswatch.com's listing of uh, show links inside of it just a a tremendous piece of education and knowledge that I love to sup up with a biscuit just (laughs) awesome stuff so we've come to the end of this episode of whatcopswatch.com our very first volume one of the most prolific firearms inside of movies and television do you have one that we missed off of this first list got one that we need to tuck onto a future one Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's whatcopswatch.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side inside the feedback form and tell us, what do you think needs to go on the list of the most prolific firearms in television and movie history?
0: Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris DiGiuseppe, your other host. I am Paul Bastien, director of Ultimate Defense, your guest host.
2: Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: This is the end of your tour of duty. Another episode of What Cops Watch has been filed in records. But another scene is taking shape. So many dirt bags, so little time. Check back again soon to whatcopswatch.com and join us back in the squad room for your next assignment. Don't be late. This isn't a request. Are you a cop? You want to tell us about what you watch and why? Contact us by visiting whatcopswatch.com. There you can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter, subscribe to us via iTunes, and get regular briefings directly from your duty sergeant. Thanks for listening, and remember, after your tour of duty, hang up your duty belt, grab some coffee, kick back in that recliner, and listen to the next episode of whatcopswatch.com.